Luke 23, I want you to look again. Verse 32 of this text, you'll find a very, very familiar detail about the crucifixion of our Lord. It says, And there were also two other malefactors led with him, with Jesus, to be put to death. In other words, there were, as you all know, two other men crucified on either side of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, since these two men were scheduled to be crucified, verse 32 calls them malefactors, similar to the word malevolent, which simply means criminal. Verse 39, And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss, nothing wrong. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, folks, hear this carefully. It is entirely possible, as this text indicates, that from the very side of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, from His very side, one person may die and go to heaven and be with Him for eternity. While the other person can die and go into judgment and be separated from God forever. That is clear from this text. The question, however, is this. Which side of the cross are you on? You know, there are certain incidents and occasions found in the Word of God, the Bible, that will stand forever as paradigms and examples of what God teaches throughout His Word. And yes, one of those watershed moments in all of Scripture is the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ between two individual sinners. Understand this. By every metric of society, these two men were the same. They're both thieves. They're both going to die that day. They are both within feet of the Son of God Himself. They are both lost. They are both unnamed in the Bible. And facing all of the fears and all of the uncertainties of dying and dying in their sin in particular, as the old expression goes, these men were thick as thieves. And they would stay that way. All the way to the very end of their tragic and fading lives. Except for one of them. Something happened. Something takes place during one man's final hours on earth that changed everything about him that day for the past 2,000 years, and for all of eternity. That something is what I want us to consider together. As we speak on the subject, which side of the cross are you on? Our Father, we need your help today, and we see how in your wisdom and your grace, you have orchestrated all these events for the people who are in this room at this moment. And I open my heart to your word afresh. And I ask for your help, and I pray that we all will, as you speak to each and every one of us, in Jesus' precious name, amen. It is entirely possible this morning that some of you here are thinking, Pastor, 
I resent the implication of the title of this morning's message. I mean, what do you mean by which side of the cross am I on? I'm no robber. I'm not a malevolent person. I am no common criminal who's worthy of execution. So to answer your question, Pastor Blalock, I'm not on either side of the cross because I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. And you may be exactly that. You may be a decent person who would never be worthy in this country of capital punishment. The question is, does that still make you worthy of being with Jesus in glory, in heaven, forever and ever? In other words, look, if one thief was promised eternal life and another thief was not promised eternal life, well, what does that say about our standing before a holy God? Three men died that day at Calvary. One man died in his sin. One man only died from his sin. And one man died for sin. So that note this carefully, regardless of how worthy or how unworthy or good or bad you think you are today, all of us here are encompassed in all of these, and one of these at least, three men. And because of that, This story really is a paradigm. It answers fundamentally every question man has ever asked about salvation and heaven and hell and sin, forgiveness and ruin and redemption. And why it is that one of those robbers died in judgment and one of them died in mercy. You see, the Lord Jesus, who's on the middle cross, he told a story just seven chapters before this in the Gospel of Luke. He said, and it came to pass, the beggar died and was carried by the angels into heaven. The rich man died also, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. I have a question, why? Why one and not the other? Three things in the text I want you to notice in the first one about the penitent thief is number one, his condition. Verse 39 again, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Now, the other man is talking about in the verse is the other malefactor, or shall we say the other criminal? In Matthew chapter 27, it says that these men were thieves. The word for thieves there literally means one who robs with violence. In other words, these were bandits, if you will. They assaulted people. They may even have killed people in their effort to take what did not belong to them. Pretty bad people. And for it, because of it, the Roman government is putting them to death. The worst possible death ever devised by man. And here they are. One is on the right side, and the other one is on the left side of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is hanging, dying in the middle. It was customary, by the way, for the Romans to put the worst criminal, the worst offender, at these crucifixions on the middle cross, so that as far as they were concerned, Jesus was the worst criminal there. And you know, beloved, in a sense, they were right. Because the one in the middle, the Lord Jesus on his cross, was dying for the sins of the ones beside him and for your sins, and for mine. 1 Peter 2.24 says, who his own self 
bear our sins in his own body on the tree. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Our Lord became the worst criminal in human history, if you will, while on that very cross. And here he is being crucified between two thieves. And do you know why, undoubtedly, God wanted his son to be on the middle cross? Because here in the middle, both of these men have equal access to Jesus. Both of them could turn and speak to Christ. Both could hear and listen to what he is saying. Both of them could hear him say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Both could see the inscription on his cross. This is Jesus, which means Savior, the King of the Jews. Both of these men could watch Jesus die as no man has ever died. Think about this. For six hours, these two criminals saw and heard miraculous things. They saw and they felt the earthquake. They saw the darkness in the daytime. They heard Jesus pray to the Father. They heard the ruler say in verse 35, He spared others. He saved others. What were they thinking? What were the thieves thinking when they heard the men out there say, This man up there, he saved other people. He can't save himself. They heard the crowd say he claimed that he could rebuild the temple in three days. In fact, look at verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what was done, this is a Roman, this is a Gentile, this was an idol worshiper. When the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Wow. Folks, if a Roman centurion comes to the conclusion by observation about this man hanging in the middle cross, what about the fellow criminals there? One thing's for sure. This execution and this ordeal started with both of these criminals mocking Jesus with both of these criminals accusing him of lying look I know that one of the thieves stopped mocking by verse 39 but can I notice can you notice what they did early on it'll be on your screen Matthew 27 I'm going to read it to you verse 39 and they that passed by reviled him wagging their heads and saying Thou that destroyest the temple and build it in three days. Now, Jesus was talking about his body, right? Put me in the grave. Three days later, I'll rise again. He explained that to them. Save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Verse 41. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. They're hearing all of this. And then it says in verse 44, The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. In Mark's gospel, it says it this way, verse 32, Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. In other words, hear this carefully. Both of these men accused Jesus of lying and mocked him, both of them, early on. He's a criminal. He's a liar. He's despised. He's dying. And now, in his final hours showing his own 
spiritual darkness, both of them, this thief accuses the very one, the only one who can save him. You might say that this man, the penitent thief as well, was without hope, without a prayer, and he was. Except, once again, this thief will observe the grace of God firsthand for the next three hours and beyond. And it brings us to the second thing in the text. We said, number one, there's his condition. Number two, I want you to notice his contrition. Verse 39 of our text in Luke again, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on the other one saying, if thou, on, on him saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, dost not thou, follow this, fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation. Now, I have a question. Since when did this thief ever fear God? And by the way, what does fearing God even have to do with mocking another fellow criminal who's dying there with you anyway? Because that's all the man was doing. Do you realize that by joining the chief priests and the crowd out there earlier, in mocking Jesus, they're being crucified, by joining the crowd that they show that they care more about what the world thinks. They were concerned about what all of the world would think and say. They actually wanted the approval of their own executioners. The fear of man has kept many a people from becoming saved. But now, he speaks about the fear of God. Verse 40, But the other answering and rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we, re- we receive the due reward of our deeds. I want you to hear this very carefully because the very first step to ever receiving salvation and forgiveness from God, the very first act, is and will always be an act of humility and confession. It will always be we, I, receive justly. Well, Pastor, I just don't believe how a loving God could have so many innocent people die in an earthquake. When people say that to me, I always say the same thing. There are no innocent people. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And the Bible says there's none righteous, perfect, no, not one. The Bible says that we are all, all men are dead. Understand that. Spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. Well, I'm not as bad as that man. Okay, look, go to the cemetery later today. Point at a graveside and say, that man is dead. And then point at another grave and say, but that man is really dead. Does that make sense? I may not be as bad as the next guy. You may not think you're as bad as the next person, but without Jesus, you're as bad off as every person. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Wait a minute, though vile as he? Who wrote those words? Who would look at himself and say, I am as vile as the thief hanging on the cross? That was William Cooper. William Cooper was a man, one of the humblest, kindest, godliest, most spiritual men, a pastor's son in the 16th century. He would never say, well, I'm not as bad as the next guy. That unbelieving thief 
You know what he did? He ended his life looking to Jesus and saying, you're a liar. You're a criminal. You're not who you say you are. You deserve to die. Maybe he'd make him feel better about himself. The penitent thief, he ended his life by saying, I'm a liar. I'm a criminal. I'm exactly who they say that I am. And that, beloved, is the first step to experiencing the grace of God. But Pastor Blair, like, I didn't come here to be told that I'm a sinner. I didn't come here to feel bad about myself. Well, you could go see this lady. This was on my windshield. 20% off. Any palm reading. Psychic readings by, I won't say her name, because I don't want, I'm not here to embarrass anybody, but I won't say her name. Anyway, it's the state that I was born in, all right? Anyway, psychic readings by this lady. This was on my windshield. In fact, it was on every windshield in the parking lot at Publix. She's a psychic. She wants to tell me my thoughts. My first thought when I saw it was if she could read my mind, she'd know I wouldn't want this on my windshield. <laughs> and if she knew any percentage of the future, all she would have to do, she doesn't have to go around, these are on every car, asking for customers, just know the score of today's NFL championship games and the lotto numbers, and she's, she's crazy, crazy rich, amen? A rich witch, if you will. But, <laughs> but you know what psychics tell you about yourself? You know what they say to you? They say, well, you have, you have a very strong moral character. I see that. And you're, you're not easily fooled. You're very wise. And you will find love, but she will not be worthy of you. And the guy goes, oh, she really knows me. How does she know me so well? <laughs> now, she knows your wallet really, really well. Pastor, I didn't come here to be told I'm a sinner. You know what? You're a sinner. You're either this sinner who was lost or this sinner who is going to be saved by grace. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Number one, his condition. Number two, his contrition. The third thing I want you to notice, number three, is his confession. Verse 41, he says, and we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Same thief who once criticized him now recognizes he's done nothing wrong. Earlier he called Jesus a liar, believing with the rest of the crowd that Christ deserved to die. Not anymore. Because now after hearing all of this testimony and watching Jesus die and hearing him pray... You see the word, first word he prayed in verse 34? Father. Think about that for a moment. Nobody else there that day was praying to the Father and calling out his name, but Jesus was. The thief heard this, and he watched him, and he realized what every lost sinner in the world needs to know. This man has done nothing amiss. This man died for sins but never committed sin. The only man who is not guilty he died the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. Verse 42. And so he said unto Jesus, Lord, Lord, not fellow criminal. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now, wait a minute. You see the contrast? Follow us very carefully because on the one side, that thief is actually tempting Christ. That thief is giving him the very exact 
temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness at the very beginning of his ministry when Satan came to him and said, if you're really the son of God, save yourself. Eat the bread. The kingdom can be yours right now. Save yourself. That's what Satan said in the wilderness. Now at the end of his ministry, the thief is doing the same with the same temptation. But on the other side, that thief is now praying to Christ. And he says, Lord, when you die, when you go into your kingdom, that means after you die, remember me, he said. Recognizing by faith that Jesus was going to live again. That the end of Jesus' life was not there on that cross. Which, folks, if you think about it this way, what an incredible blessing this man would be to Jesus in his darkest hour. Over here is Satan's crowd tempting Jesus to come down from the cross. Call your angels, which he could have. Prove your deity. Save yourself. And all that temptation he faced. And how they tried. And suddenly coming from one of the very men who had joined in the mockery earlier. Comes this voice saying, this man's done nothing wrong. This man is not guilty. And then he says, Lord, go to your kingdom. Not come down from the cross. Go to your kingdom. Basically, you are who you say you are. Stay on the cross. And after you die, and after you rise again, think of me. Remember me in the kingdom. I can tell you, beloved, all of heaven must have shouted at that confession. Peter forsook him. Andrew forsook him. But here is a vile sinner in his dying moments encouraging Jesus to do what they all needed Christ to do, what we needed Christ to do. Stay on the cross and pay the ransom for man's sin. I thank God for the penitent thief. He is a sinner who flung himself in faith upon the Savior's mercy. And that was the very joy, as he said one occasion, the meat, the purpose, the fulfillment of why Jesus was hanging on the cross in the first place. And our Lord Jesus looked at that wicked sinner and he said to him what? Verse 43, verily. Remember the word verily? It means truly. Sometimes translated amen is the equivalent of our word amen. The thief said, Lord, go to your kingdom and remember me. And you know what Jesus said? Amen. Truly. We said number one, his condition. Number two, his contrition. Number three, his confession. Number four, I want you to notice his conversion. Verse 43, and Jesus said unto him, Verily, truly, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou, you, individual, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, folks, I want to ask you a question. Whatever else you ever thought before this day, before this moment, before this scripture about salvation and how you get to heaven and how you don't, I want to ask you this. What if the thief said, Lord, remember me when you go to your kingdom? And Jesus answered, Verily I'll say unto thee, if thou be baptized, I will remember thee. But Lord, I'm unable to be baptized. What if he said, Verily, if all of your good outweighs your bad. Well, he's in trouble now. Big trouble. Verily, I say unto you, if, if you turn over a new leaf, if you make amends for all of the money that you stole from other people, he's helpless and hopeless. If you light these candles, if you give these alms, you'll be with me in paradise. 
You realize that if Jesus said anything remotely like that, he would have contradicted the entire ministry and message of the gospel. Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this man was lost. And you will notice, beloved, that Jesus did not even wait until the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, to save that old sinner. He didn't put him on a probation period. He didn't send him to purgatory. He said, today, when I die and you die, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The same hands that stole from other people are now nailed to a cross. Those hands will never have a chance to do a single good deed in this world. But because of his faith, that penitent thief was born again by the grace of God so that the very first convert of the crucified Christ was a helpless sinner who offered nothing but faith. Beloved, this morning, the message of the gospel is the same. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, beloved, this story is a reminder that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. See, folks, he didn't know all there was to know clearly about the medicine, but he trusted the right doctor, the great physician. During the Victorian era, there was a well-to-do country squire in England who had a daughter who was very fond of her Anglican church, but still, in her teenage years, empty in her soul. But the church was all she knew. One day, she heard a traveling evangelist speaking over in the village green, and she walked over to hear him because he was preaching from the Bible. She listened, and every day when she passed by, he was there day after day, and he kept preaching constantly about the crucifixion and the, risen and, and, and the resurrection of Jesus. Eventually, she told her very strict religious father about hearing this man, and he said, I don't ever want you to go there again. He was very formalistic and very tied to his, his, the state church, and he warned her not to go again, and if she persisted, he said he would use the horsewhip on her. She listened, but the truth was already in her heart. And that night she found the peace that comes by trusting Christ alone for salvation. On her knees by her bedside, she received Jesus. Later, when she told her father, he left the room and he returned with the whip. And she said, Father, before you punish me, allow me to read a poem to you that I wrote last night. She then read the words, which are today the lyrics of a beloved hymn. She said, there is life for a look at the crucified one. There is life at this moment for thee. Then look, sinner, unto him and be saved, unto him who is nailed on the tree. As she continued reading more, her father dropped the whip and with tears embraced his daughter and later 
the Savior. There is eternal life for a look at the crucified one. You think about it for a moment, there wasn't much that that dying thief could do in his last hours. He was in so much agony. They all were. He was in so much pain and so much fear, this man knowing moments away he would be dying as a criminal for his great sins. He couldn't do much, but he could look. He could look at that mocking crowd and see their irrational glee. He could lift his eyes up and then see the face of Jesus beaten and marred beyond all recognition. And then look in his eyes as he prayed to the Father and asked for forgiveness on his condemners. And then lifting his eyes even higher, he could see the inscription, the name Jesus. It means Savior. And it says he's a king. The king of the Jews, he may not look like royalty, but he sure is acting like royalty. He really does have a kingdom. And it's not of this world. And as this thief looks and ponders all of these things in his heart, he flung himself in faith upon the mercy of God. And that mercy and forgiveness, as always, was poured back to that thief. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus came to this world He told Nicodemus in John 3, oh, we all know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in John 3, 16. But don't forget, he told that man you must be born again. And he said, Nicodemus, as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness and you look, you look to the serpent in faith and God would heal you. As that serpent was lifted, I too, the son of man, must be lifted. He became a snake. Yes, he became sin for us. So that if you look in faith, you live. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. At the beginning of the service, we prayed and mentioned that none of us are here by accident. As Christians in this room, it's vital, it is crucial and critical that we understand that this is the gospel. God does not ask us to water it down to make people feel better. God does not ask us to change it so that it's more inclusive than any other those that come by faith in Jesus Christ alone. God asks us to believe it and preach it. You know, if a thief on a cross can be unashamed of Jesus, unashamed of the faith he put in Christ, surely we can. For others in this room, not here by accident, for certain, because it may be that you don't know what you're trusting in for eternity. You don't even know. Maybe you've just been told, trust in your religion. I'm a Baptist. I've been baptized. That's not going to get you to heaven. Sorry. And whatever religion is and whatever the dictates of it are. That's not going to wash your sins away. Only the blood of Christ does. And only by putting your faith in him does it avail. I wonder who'd say this morning, Pastor Blaylock, I'm a Christian by God's grace. I'm saved by his mercy. I know that. There was a time in my life for me, I was 12 years of age. And again, I didn't know everything about the medicine either. I just cried out to the great physician, Jesus, to save me. And he did. You say, Pastor, I've been saved. There was a time in my life when I was born again. I accepted Jesus alone. However, as a Christian, I needed this reminder in this message. And in some measure, God is speaking to my heart as a child of God. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building? God bless you. Yes and amen. If nothing else, if nothing else, this story ought to remind us that there, by the grace of God, go I, all of us. 
Pastor, I'm here today and I'm not sure. I mean, I couldn't raise my hand that I know there was a time in my life when I accepted Jesus and Jesus alone. When I put my faith in Him, He died on the cross. You know He was resurrected. You know He's ascended to the Father. You know He's coming again. Are you ready? Are you sure you're saved? Pastor Vladek, I'm not sure. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. I'm not sure my name is written in heaven. I'm not sure that Jesus would say to me, today, the day you die, you'll be with Him in heaven forever. I'm not sure. But I want to be sure. I'm not going to come. I'm not going to embarrass you. I wouldn't do that. I might not even see it, but God does. If that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, who would say that? Pray for me, Pastor Blaylock, that I could be saved. Anyone like that? Raise it up there. And amen. Yes. Someone else? I'm not sure today. Who will join these? Just pray for me, Pastor. I'm not sure that I'm saved today. All right? We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. As always, we do it every week. During this time of invitation... Brother Andy will be at the front if you want to speak with someone. The altar's here for Christians. Take this message. Take this glorious gospel to people you love and know. And if you're not sure about salvation, he can show you from the Bible how to be sure, as some have recently done. Whatever God is speaking to your heart about, obey his voice. Won't you, Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth of salvation. Thank you, Father, that it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to your mercy you have saved us. And we embrace that mercy. And we pray, Father, that as your people we will continue to be a beacon and a lighthouse. And for those in this room who have never trusted Christ, that they will not wait until it's too late as one dying thief did. That they will open their hearts in faith to Jesus now. We'll praise you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Very simple facts, truths in the Word of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's everybody. The wages of sin is death, eternal death. That's everybody. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. You receive it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be, shall be saved. It's a promise. Simple childlike faith right there in your pew with heads bowed, eyes closed. If you've never prayed and accepted Jesus alone, just pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need to be saved. Please come to my life, my heart. I accept you and you alone as my Lord and my Savior. I want to be saved and I, I ask you today to save me. Do that. Do that today before it's too late. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of the gospel of Jesus. We thank you for the cross of Christ. I pray, Father, we will not be ashamed of this gospel. And I pray for those in this room who have never trusted Christ, maybe just now did, some listening by live stream, will recognize that there is life for a look at the Savior. If that look is in faith and acceptance of your word, we love you today and we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.